Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. And my boys are back with me again. We got Victorious and Saul King. Say hi, guys. Say good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. And my beautiful wife is with us as well. Good morning. And we are going to be continuing through the book of Matthew. So today we're picking up right where we left off in chapter 20. You guys been learning a lot from this? Yes. Yeah, we get to see a lot about how Jesus acts. What's, your, what's been your favorite thing so far, Saul? When God healed the people. Yeah, when God did some healings, that was a good one. And it, every situation, it said every disease and every sickness he healed. What about you, Vic? When, um, when that guy um, walked on the water. When Peter walked on the water with Jesus? Yeah, yeah that was a good one. Well, we're going to pick up today. What about you, Mom? Did you have a favorite? Nope. I've just been loving hearing everything God's doing in the Bible. Yeah, I like the part where it said the two or three people gathered together. It will happen if they all pray for the same thing. That's a good thing because how many times it helps pray. when you get your friends to pray for something with you, right? Right. That shows that. For God. for God to change our lives. All right, here we go, guys. Let's pick up in chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a normal day's wage and sent them out to work. So it's a guy who owns like a farm. At 9 o'clock in the morning, as he passed through the marketplace, he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them, He would pay them whatever was right in the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. So he kept going back and getting more people. And at 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in the town again and saw more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one will hire us. So the landowner told them, Then go and join the other workers in my vineyard. That evening, he told the the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. So those that he hired at five o'clock were paid. Each of them received a full day's wage. The guys who just showed up at five o'clock. Then when those that he hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would get more money. But they too were paid a day's wage. Then they, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them as much as you paid us. And we worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last workers the same as you. Is it against the law to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. So you understand what Jesus is talking about? The people who believe in Jesus at the end of their life will still go to heaven, just like somebody like you guys who have been born into it. You get it? That's what Jesus was saying. If I want to pay everybody, I'm going to pay everybody. If I want everyone to be saved, then I'm going to save everyone. It's not up to us to say you're not deserving or they shouldn't have. God says, I'm going to give it to them. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, 
he took the twelve disciples aside privately and told them what he was going what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed by the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will raise from the dead. Then the mother of James and John, the son of Zebedee's, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectively and asked a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit at your place of honor next to you, one at your right and the other at your left. And Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Oh, yes, we, they replied. We are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from this bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit at my right or at my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those that are under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard what Jesus, when they heard that Jesus was on that way, they began shouting, "Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us!" "Be quiet!" the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder, "Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us!" When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, "What do you want me to do for you?" Lord, they said, we want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes and instantly they could see. Then they followed him. Matthew 21 now. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt tied beside it. Untie them and bring them unto me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to be fulfilled, to fulfill what the prophecies had said. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus had commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on their road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked, and the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables and all the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called the house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are calling or saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he sat overnight. 
In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. You guys imagine if you're walking down the road and you've seen a tree, like an apple tree. And he went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up and the disciples were amazed. When they saw this, they asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to the mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. Then Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching. The leading priests and elders came up to him and demanded, By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gives you the right? I tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it's from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it's merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believe that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think about this? A man who had with two sons told the older boy, son, go and work in the vineyard today. So that'd be like me telling you, Saul, you go work in the vineyard today. I'm going to get to you. I told the oldest son first, go work in the vineyard. And Saul answered me, no, I won't go. But later... He changed his mind, and he went anyways. Then I told the other son, Victor, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will go. But he didn't go. Which one of them, the two, obeyed their father? Which one? So. The older one did. You're right. You know why? Because he went, though, right? Even though the other one said he would go, he never went. They replied, the first, and then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came to show you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes did, and even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent from your sins. Now Jesus told them another parable. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, and dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. So he let someone else run his farm for him. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crops. But the farmers grabbed his servants beat one, killed one, and stoned the other one. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will have respect for my son. But when the tenant farmers saw the son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, What do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, He will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his fair share of the crops from each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, Don't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, for it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the nation that will produce a proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling stories against them, and 
they were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Wow. Jesus also told them, oh, we're in Matthew 22 now. Jesus also told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated in the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls and the fattened calf have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, others to his business. Others seized his messenger and insulted him and killed them. The king was furious, so he sent his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited weren't worthy of the honor. Now go to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servant brought in everyone that they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the support of Herod to, keep, to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us, what do you think about this? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me a coin you use for taxes. And they handed him a Roman coin. And he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on them? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them, and they all went away. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses said if a man dies without children... His brother should marry his widow and have a child who will carry on his brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So his brother married the widow. The second brother also died and the third brother married her. This continued until all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, there will be neither married nor given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether there will be resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. When the crowds heard him, they were astonished by his teachings. But the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply. They met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So they wanted to know which was the most important commandment, guys. You know what a commandment is? God's rules for your life? Which one do you think is the most important? What's the most important commandment? To not, to not commit adultery. <laughs> Good job, Richard. To not wash up the devil. 
not to have worship only God, right? Well, let's see what Jesus says. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. For this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is equal in importance. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Believe that? That means all of the laws of Jesus and all of the laws in the Bible and everything the prophets were going to to predict about the future. All of it falls on two things. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's all you have to worry about, Saul and Victor. If you guys are just loving God and you love everyone around you, then you're going to make Jesus happy, right? Then surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, he's the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So they finally met their match. Chapter 23, guys. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. But don't follow their examples. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for a show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes and scriptures and verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive a respectful greeting as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven, in people's faces. You won't go in yourself, and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one covenant, and then you turn that person into twice a child of hell, you yourselves are. Blind guides, what a sorrow awaits you. For you say it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is a building you swear by, the gold in the temple. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind. For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? And you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by the heavens, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious laws and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect what is more important. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat and you swallow a camel. So he's talking about the teachers of the law and he's saying how they they try to make sure that they're doing everything right but they're missing the whole point of it. 
They're not even understanding what it's a, what it means to, to get to know God and to know what God really wants for you. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, and inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisees. First, wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. If you guys were to go in there and pick up a cup and you wanted to drink water and you had to clean it, would you only clean the outside of the cup and then drink from it? Yeah, that's what Jesus was saying. These Pharisees are trying to clean up the outside of their body so they look good and they look like a Christian. But on the inside, they don't act like a Christian. So Jesus is saying, clean the the inside first and then the outside will become clean. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious laws and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are for you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in those days of our ancestors, we would have never have joined in in killing these prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourself that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started, snakes, sons of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? This is Jesus talking. He called them snakes. Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law, but you will kill some by crucifixion. You will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time, for the murders of righteous Abel, to the murder of Zacchaeus, son of the Berzeki. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. You guys want to try it? B-E-R-E-K-I-A-H. Biraka. Biraka. Whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth. This judgment... Berakiah. Yeah, good job, Saul. I tell you the truth. This judgment will fall on this very generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you won't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, now we're going to move on to chapter 24. Jesus speaks about the future. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They they will be completely demolished. No one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal the return and the end of the world? And Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nations will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. 
And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, for the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So Jesus says that before the end comes, the, new, that the good news will be preached throughout the entire world. That's why it's our job to keep preaching the good news, right? If we want Jesus right. to come. That day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious religious objects that cause desecration standing in the holy place. That is a tongue twister. The sacrilegious objects that cause desecration standing in the holy place. I should receive a gold star for reading that, guys. <laughs> Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter on the Sabbath. For, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. It will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity was shortened, not a single person would, will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders, as so to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he's hiding there. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows that there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the sign of the Son of Man is coming, will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the people of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's what we're waiting for now. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the earth. From the furthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near. Right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like in Noah's days. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered into the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in a field. One will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be gathering flour at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know the day when the Lord is coming. Understand this. It, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming... He would keep watch out and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all times, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of his own, of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants and partying and getting drunk? 
The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm -hmm. So don't get drunk and party when Jesus is coming back. You better don't be ready. Get drunk and party enough. Exactly. <laughs> then he, so here we go in chapter 25. We're going to learn about the parable of the ten bridesmaids. This is what happens like to the church when people aren't ready for Christ. When the kingdom of heaven is like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by a shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of the oil because our lamps have gone, are going out. And the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourself. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know when the day or hour of my return is. So we don't know when, you know, Jesus will come back today or tomorrow. We don't know when he's coming back. That's why we always have to be ready. That's why it's never good to be doing bad things. Because you'd hate for Jesus to come back right when you're in the middle of doing something bad, right? The parable. Yeah, like robbing or cheating or stealing or lying. <laughs> that would not be good. That's why we've got to be good all the time, right? All right, let's read the parable of the three servants. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one two bags of silver to another one, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his long trip. The servant who received five bags of silver invested the money and earned five more. The servant who had two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned you five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So both times Christ said the same thing. The one guy made five bags of silver, the other one made two bags of silver. But guess what? Wait, that's... That's Jesus talking? Yep, that's Jesus talking. And he's telling the story about this. And he told, but he, both of them, the one guy made like three more bags of silver, but Jesus treated them the same because both of them did what they could with what they had. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. So I was afraid that I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvest crops that I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit the money in a bank? At least you could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, 
Even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, will he, then he will sit upon the glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. And I was a stranger, listen to this, and you invited me into your house. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then those righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you food or thirsty and give you a drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So anything we do for other people, Jesus says, if we do it to the least of our brothers and sisters, it's like we're doing it for him. That's why if we give someone money, it's like we're giving it to Jesus. If we help someone who's hungry or thirsty, it's just like we're helping out Jesus. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me, and I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink, and I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your house. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So that's why it's important that we give to the hungry and we give to people who are in need, right? We hate to see yep. those people that have things and God is blessed and then people need things and we don't show them God's love and mercy and help them. Every time we donate to charity, every time we help out someone in need, it's just like we're doing it to God himself. And he rewards us like as if we were doing it to him. That's awesome. Let's continue in chapter 26 because, guys, this is getting really good. We're getting to the point now where they're, gonna, they're starting to plot Jesus' death. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of, of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Jesus is anointed at Bethany. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, the man who previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it all over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing for me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured out this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Then Judas Iscariot, the one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay me? to betray Jesus to you. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. For that time, from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. On the first day of the festival of unleavened, of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? 
As you go into the city, he told him, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did what Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal for, for them there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? He replied, One of you who has just eaten from the bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It will be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, You have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it and broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. On the way, Jesus told them, Tonight all you will desert me, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you, Jesus. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, where he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he, began, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief at the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same thing again. And he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's get going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, the one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. And they had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him a kiss. Then Jesus said, My friend, go ahead and do what you came for. And the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave and slashed off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Didn't you recognize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, 
Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you came with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophet as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. All the disciples ran away. Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of, of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Inside, the leading priests in the high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. And even though they found many who agreed to give false witnesses, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward and declared, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the priest stood up and said to Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? And Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus, God bless you. And Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes to show his horror and said, blasphemy, why must we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus's face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering, prophesied to us, you Messiah, who hit you at that time? Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard a servant girl came over to him. You are one of those who was with Jesus of Galilee. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, by, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it. And that time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And, G and Peter swore, a curse on me if I am lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you never knew me. And he went away weeping bitterly. One of the one of the the guards that came to arrest Jesus, Peter cut it off. Peter pulled out his sword and cut off his ear, but Jesus healed it. We'll, we'll read about that when we get to the other books, because there's another account on it. Why Jesus healed his ear? Because it wasn't what he wanted. Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross and die for all of our sins, so he didn't want Peter to stop that from happening. He didn't want anybody to stop it. And he wasn't a wicked man. He wasn't trying to hurt people. That's not who Jesus is, right? In the he end, what his journey was. He wanted he wanted to do what God sent him here to do. All right, we're in chapter twenty-seven, guys. We only got two left. Yay! Very early in the morning, the leading priest and the elders of the people met again to lay plans to put Jesus to death. Then they bound him and led him away and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They reported. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priests picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After, after some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field, and they made it into a, a, a cemetery for foreigners. That is why the field is called the field of blood. This fulfilled the prophecy that Jeremiah said. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel, and they purchased the potter's field as the Lord directed. 
Jesus's trial before Pilate. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they're bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, but much to the governor's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowds, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message, Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and elders persecuted the crowd to, or persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which one of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who you call the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere with the, and there was a riot and a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a wet, with a lead-tipped whip. Then they turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters, and they called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crowd, a crown, and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a, as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on his head with it. Then they were finally tired of mocking him. They took off the robe and put his own clothes back on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Syria, Serene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Then they went out to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers grabbed his clothes and threw dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at him now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law and other elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't even save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were cursed or were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. 
But the rest said, wait, let's see if Elijah comes to rescue him. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. The earth shook. Listen to all these miracles that took place right when Jesus died. For one, the big curtain in the sanctuary was ripped in two from top to bottom. There was an earthquake. The rocks split open and the tombs opened. And the bodies of many godly men and women who were dead were raised from the dead. So all the graves opened up and all the dead people came back to life. They left the cemeteries after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the Son of God. And many women who had come to Galilee with, with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph and Mary or and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had also become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet and clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which he had been carved out of a rock. When he rolled, Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember that the deceiver once said that he was still alive, and after three days he will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will, pre will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone he has raised from the dead. If this happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. All right, last and final chapter, guys, Matthew 28. Early on Sunday morning, as a new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. When the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of them to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And they... As they went, Jesus met with them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what, the, what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while you were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you, and you won't get in any trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe, and they told what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and is still told till today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they, then they saw him and worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given you all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, for I am with you always, even until the end of the age. That's it, guys. We finished the whole book of Matthew. Isn't that awesome? All right, so let's stay a prayer here, guys. And then we'll pick up next time in the book of Mark. So everybody listening with us, feel free to say a little prayer with us. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and minds today, God. Allow your word to sink into our heart, God. We appreciate, Lord, giving us the grace, Lord, to finish this word, Lord. We want to go through this whole Bible like this, God, that we bury it in our heart and we let it be a light that shines our life, God, and shows our path and our direction before us, God. Anybody listening to this today, God, that you will come to them, God, in that still small voice and call them to you, God. That they will accept you into their heart today, Lord, as their Lord and Savior, God. And that they will read the Bible and find your commands so that they can obey them and live a good life that will lead to heaven and an eternity with you, God. We worship you and praise you and thank you for everything, God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks a lot for everybody coming along. We will be with you next time. And God bless all of you.